What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision podcast. I am your host, Colette Abdallah, and I'm joined today by my fellow host, Osama Dahoud. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, good. How's it going? It's going good. All right. So on today's episode, we'll be discussing the biggest sports stories of 2022 and why they are such a big deal. So we'll cover the uh, historical significance of each story and, and what it means for everyone involved in these stories. And we're going to be going in chronological order, so not in order of significance or importance or anything like that, just when it happened. Some of these spanned a couple months, so uh, the chronology may be a little screwy, but you get the idea. So we'll start with one that took place in January of 2022, and that is the famous 13 seconds game. So that was the uh, AFC divisional game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills with a lot of nonstop action. And the reason, of course, it is called the 13 seconds game is because the Kansas City Chiefs got the ball back with 13 seconds left in the game in regulation, I should say, uh, down three points. And they make sure make sure we, we point out that they had three timeouts as well. And they marched down the field and kicked a field goal to send the game into overtime. So, Osama, why was this game and this moment such a big deal? Oh, you're still like this this game. What a way to start 2022 um, with with 13 seconds. It, this was football performed at its highest level. Like everyone watching this at the same time, 100% glued to their seats, hyperventilating at the the way this game ended. It was back and forth, touchdown, 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 touchdown. Uh, and when the Chiefs pull this off, the game goes to overtime because they get the field goal with 13 seconds left. And then the Chiefs score after they win the coin toss uh, and, and scored on the first drive. And, you know, per the rules, they scored. The game's over. And we all cried a collective. But Josh Allen, he earned, he deserved another chance. He won them that game. Clearly, no one could cover Gabe Davis uh, on Kansas City that night. And we... We just wanted him to have a second chance, and we're like, "Why does this, does this rule exist?" Uh, it's always been that way, but and I think that if you've been on the losing end of a playoff loss like that, you've probably lamented that rule and wanted a second chance yourself. So it was it was a no brainer. It was easy for the NFL to make this change, but I think that just from the way that game ended uh, and and the fight that both teams put up. This was a huge deal because we're like, well, I wanted to see the rest of that movie. We didn't get to see the other side of that. Exactly. And it was kind of the like natural progression of the overtime rules. I mean, of course, you remember it used to be first first team scores no matter what, whether it was a field goal or, or touchdown. And then they made it so, all right, if the first possession ends in a field goal, then the other team gets the ball back and they can either, of course, kick a field goal and they go back and forth or they score a touchdown and the game's over. So it, it's we're kind of moving towards the college football experience of overtime, not not quite as uh, scoring heavy and things like that, where they don't just you know they don't hand you the ball on the thirty yard line and say you know let's let's try and match scores. But I think it it does make sense for them to do that, especially in the playoffs where we want to see the best teams do cool shit and the best players do cool things. And it would have been really cool for these guys to keep this. Uh, shootout that they had going obviously there's no guarantee that Josh Allen and the Bills score a touchdown on the ensuing drive but we at least wanted to give them a chance so there was a lot of people that said well what about defense does defense not matter anymore so what do you say to that I think that the way that the rules have been changed every year suggests that defense matters but for the product to be as entertaining as possible they will skew the rules as much as they can uh, to make it more difficult for defense and easier for offense to produce, whether that's pass interference, whether that's protecting the quarterback. Uh, all of these things do work against the defense. Defense does matter, uh, but the quality of football and offensive execution is more important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like we get it, that side of the ball matters, and it still matters. I mean, if you, if you have a top five defense, you're probably going to make the playoffs, and we've seen – uh, the Niners kind of prove that it doesn't matter who your quarterback is as long as you have a great defense. But like you said, the product is moving in that direction. It's just like the NBA where people want to see scoring and people want to see points and people want to see fireworks and all that. 
and a you know 1310 slog in the mud and the three yards in the cloud of dust and all that that that's all ancient history when it comes to the nfl so we'll, we'll say now i mean do you think we'll see a rematch between buffalo we're recording this on january 14th so there's a chance that or sorry 15th so there's a chance that we could see a repeat but from today do you think that we'll see another 13 seconds type moment in the uh, the next matchup I and mean, whenever these two teams play, it is fireworks. So, I mean, they're heading in that direction unless Cincinnati, who right now in this exact moment has been excellent again this year, um, that could kind of skew things, but it's trending that way. And I think we'll get another historic matchup for sure. For sure. And this time it will be, if it does happen, in a neutral site because of one of the biggest stories of 2023. So maybe in next year's recap, we'll cover the DeMar Hamlin and I mean, we'll see how, how that plays out if Buffalo is able to, to win a Super Bowl off the back of that uh, emotional moment. So we'll move on to the next moment on our list. And that is Tom Brady's quote unquote retirement. So after the, uh, the Bucks lost in pretty dramatic fashion to the Los Angeles Rams, Tom Brady retired for what was it about 43 days, something like that. Um, However old he was at the time was as many days as he (laughs) was retired. Well, I will say it was long enough for Sports Illustrated or some other magazine to come out with a very glossy retirement tribute uh, post that I saw in the uh, checkout aisle at Rite Aid uh, and long enough for us to do a 4040 Vision tribute to (laughs) Tom Brady the GOAT. Maybe we'll need to record another one uh, if he does retire this uh, this offseason, but supposedly he's going to Las Vegas, so maybe a couple years before we uh, record another one. But essentially, he retires. Then Bruce Arians re- pseudo-retires from being the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who he famously uh, clashed with. And then we find out later on that he's trying to finagle his way to Miami with Sean Payton. And then, of course, that doesn't happen, and Brian Flores sues the NFL, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I'm maybe overstepping here a bit, but why was this such a big deal? Why was this story you know, such a big deal from start to finish, not just the retirement, but everything else that, that went along with it? It appeared that the GOAT, not just quarterback, but football player, the most accomplished, successful, prolific football player, was finally hanging up his jersey uh, and we were wrong that's what happened every it was all it wasn't true and he didn't mean to do it it was never his intention he just really wanted to get away from bruce arians it seems was mainly his goal not to actually stop playing football i think he'll be playing football until he's in a casket and they're doing the uh the the uh, vintage tom brady quarterback sneak and pushing his casket over the goal line on fourth and short. So I, th- I think that he's going to keep doing that for the rest of time. Uh, so it seemed like he was done and the Rooney rule, uh, Brian Flores lawsuit really just scrambled everything. It happened like right after he announces his retirement. We're like, wow, uh, salute to the GOAT. Congrats, Tom Brady on a great career. 4040 podcast does a giant podcast episode. All these things happen in sports media. And then the Brian Flores things happens uh, and he kind of has to tiptoe his way back in. And he's like, you know, I've had second thoughts about playing, about sitting at home. I'm really bored and I, I don't think I'm ready to hang him up yet. Uh, and, and it took a little time for that story to leak. Um, what made it interesting, too, is not only was, were they just going to partner up and Brian Flores is out and Tom Brady's in, but there was like partnership and ownership ramifications. They were going to get a piece of the Miami Dolphins uh, by joining the team. So it was it was a really big move he was planning on making into what was looking like the final chapter of his, of his career. And there's so many Maybe. layers to it, like like you mentioned, right? Uh, the ownership piece, the Brian Flores piece, the the Rooney Rule, and kind of the, the sham that that NFL teams have made it into, where they're just trying to meet a quota and they'll interview anybody off the street essentially just to fulfill that, that quota. Uh, and the way that it blew up in everyone's face was, was really the craziest part to me was 
the fact that he had to come back kind of tail between his legs to Tampa because he wanted to play because they still had him under contract. And I, I think Bruce Arian said, there's no way we're going to trade him because we don't want to <laughs> essentially. Right. So they kind of ha- held him hostage. And then he goes through this brutal season where they finish eight and nine, but still somehow win the division because they're playing Sam Darnold and Andy Dalton and uh, whoever else was playing quarterback for the Falcons. And of course, on top of all that, it costs the man his marriage because he could be sitting at home with his kids and his wife and his his wife thought he was going to retire. Maybe she thought he was going to retire too for good. And he decides, nope, I'm going to stay in Tampa and uh, play football, like he said, until until he's in his casket. So just the layers of this. And we this, this story had legs. It went on forever. So, yeah, it's, it's obviously one of the big stories of the year. Quick note uh, before we move on from this. Do you know that Tom Brady has never completed, competed in a football game where his team wasn't in playoff contention? Well, no, I, I did not. <laughs> He's never thing. been, never. He's always played, and his team is going is in the playoff hunt at the minimum, always. He's never been I mean, eliminated. I'm pretty sure he's only missed the playoffs once. He was probably he, injured. There's no way he just missed it healthy the whole in, year. In uh, 2002, so they won the Super Bowl in 01, and then the following year they missed out on the playoffs, and then the year after that they won the Super Bowl. So, you know. <laughs> Whatever 2002 was, it doesn't count in my record book. <laughs> it, I mean, what you said doesn't surprise me whatsoever. There's a reason he's the GOAT. So, yeah, even when his team is under 500, he's still in the playoffs. It's just Brady magic. And who we'll see what happens with uh, him and the Cowboys uh, tomorrow night, so on January 16th. So our next story is a bit heavier than uh, Tom Brady retire- retiring, and that is the arrest of Brittany Griner in Russia. So quick backstory on that. Brittany Griner, of course, is a w- WNBA star, and unfortunately many of these WNBA players have to play play basketball overseas so uh, because of their contracts they don't make much money playing basketball here so they supplement that income by playing uh, in places like turkey uh, ukraine russia etc so griner is playing basketball in russia and it's around the time that the uh, war with ukraine is kicking off she gets arrested in a russian airport for possession of a couple ounces of vape oil with some hash in it. And eventually she gets sentenced to something, I believe it was like nine years in a Russian work camp. Um, And the story takes off. It becomes one of the biggest uh, stories of the year because it's an incredible crossroads between sports and politics. And the names of the folks that, that got involved were just massive. So aside from all that, I'm just talking about why was this story such a big deal uh, in 2022? Well, it was happening, I think, it happened early in the year before the beginning of what became the Ukraine-Russia war. Um, And tensions with Russia have been high since the 2016 election. There's a lot of political uh, implications that that factor into why there was so much tension uh, when she was arrested. And, you know, whenever things like this happen, the stories, the, the, the details that stick out like a sore thumb to Americans are things like, it's a nine-year sentence. And like a nine-year sentence? She just doesn't even live there. It was just, like you said, a little bit of hash oil. Like, what's going on here? It becomes very much uh, politicized. And you start to see the kinds of names that, that get into it. And it, it's anyone you could think of, whether it's Steph Curry and LeBron James offering their names to it, uh, NBA athletes. And she kind of just becomes this uh, political pawn for this USA Russia old school rivalry that that's come back every every few years it gets renewed like uh I don't know like David Letterman it just comes back every once in a while <laughs> going back to the cold war so i mean it, it it was terrible she was in it was in february it was actually before the super bowl uh that's how long she was uh in jail for and and the details that come out that she was in uh, a, a labor camp. Uh, she was denied uh, her appeal. It was upheld by the Russian court. So all, all these things start to trickle in over time. And and you, you look back at some of the timestamps here, and it's crazy how long this went on for. Like, 
it was upheld several months after she was arrested. Um, I, I just, it's, you just can't help but feel feel bad for her. It's, it's, it was a, it was a, just a uh, an unfortunate situation, and I mean, I don't know if you have the details on the exchange, but it, it ended up just being a political sham. The whole thing. What was really interesting to me about the story is that it was it had so many again so many layers and elements, but it just typified how we cover anything in this era, this insane partisan era where it's like, this is an American athlete who has represented the USA uh, on the Olympic level. Um, she's born and raised in America and she's arrested in Russia for a simple drug possession crime, but it becomes a huge political issue and there's so much misinformation around it. I can't tell you how many people I talk to where they're like, oh, well, she was smuggling drugs. She was doing, it's like she had, like 2.2 ounces or something like that. And usually if you're caught with that amount of, of weed in Russia, it's like a fine. It's a three month, maybe a three month sentence and a fine. But of course they are, they, they see her as a potential pawn in exchange for a, another Russian prisoner. So everything becomes trumped up. And speaking of trumped up, Trump weighs in and he makes it this uh, political thing where, you know, this is an athlete that has, uh, spoke out against injustice in America and has talked about uh, some of the things that she doesn't like about this country, which, of course, we're all free to say and do. Uh, but she becomes this symbol of you know, the left versus the right. And she's this, you know, leftist because she's she's black and she's queer and et cetera, et cetera. Just it just goes so deep and the layers are so deep. And obviously, it's a big sports story because she's one of the best players in the WNBA. She's a gold medalist, uh, NCAA champion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it just shows that along with some of the other topics we're going to talk about today, there's no escaping that link between sports and politics. It's no matter how you, you know, you can talk about, oh, I don't want I don't want my sports politicized. I want it to be an escape. You can't. It's too deep. It's too deeply ingrained in our culture and in, in the world we live in, and you just you can't run away from it. So we'll move on to something a little uh, less heavy, and that is the Los Angeles Rams winning the Super Bowl. Uh, and what's really important about this, or what, what makes it such a big story, aside from, of course, them winning the Super Bowl, is the Rams flipped the popular team development concept on its head. And I think what's interesting about them is because of the team that they played against in the Super Bowl. So the Cincinnati Bengals were more of a homegrown effort, you know, a lot of draft picks. They they tanked essentially to get Joe Burrow. They get Jamar Chase. They have first-round pick after first-round pick. And the Rams basically just said, F them picks. We don't care about our picks. We don't care about young players. We're going to trade every first-round pick from 2017 to 2023 for – Guys like Jared Goff, Brandon Cooks, Jalen Ramsey, Matt Stafford. So there's a, a laundry list of guys. Not all of them, of course, were on the Super Bowl team. But it showed that their approach was, we don't care about draft picks. We want talent. So why was this such a big deal? It's it, This is a salary cap sport. Um, you know, given that how many spots are on an NFL roster, they went after key positions to go for it, to go all out, quarterbacks, wide receivers, pass rushers, edge rushers. And it seemed like they didn't have a salary cap in a salary cap sport. I think the final straw was Odell Beckham. And we're like, come on, Odell Beckham too? Like, how did this happen? Uh, what is, what's that? You want to pay him in Bitcoin? Okay, he wants Bitcoin? Okay, that doesn't sound very smart, but fair enough. Okay, it, it, just, it, it just seemed like when it seemed like they were done, they had another move up their sleeve. Um, obviously, Stan Kroenke is one of the richest people out there, so they do have unlimited financial resources. But it was the first time where you've seen a team really just buck the trend of trying to build through the draft and sign key pieces and give it time. They didn't do that. They made the Super Bowl once uh, with uh, Jared Goff and, and Brendan Cooks. Um, and it did, they didn't win, and then they went all out again, getting the quarterback they wanted, Sean McVay getting the quarterback he knew would get him to the finish line. So it just seemed like this team <laughs> who uh, moved to Los Angeles, 
had their big stadium, was out to prove something. Uh, and obviously they had a terrible year because when you don't bring in any new players at all and then everyone you traded for starts to fall apart or leave, uh, this, this is the end result. But nonetheless, this was one of the best examples, if I can't think of another one, of really going for it and being rewarded for it. I can't think of any either because I don't I don't know if there are any. But it's interesting that you brought up their other their other Super Bowl appearance because a lot of those guys, at least the quarterback was homegrown, but they still traded a bunch of picks to get him. They still traded for Brandon Cooks uh, and they weren't good enough to win it, so they decided, you know what? Again, F them picks. We're going to go out and get proven talent, spend a bunch of money on them, and we'll worry about the bill when it comes due. And the bill came due in a major way this year, and they were one of the worst teams in the NFL. They were one of the uh, shallowest teams. They had one of the worst rosters. It was incredibly top-heavy. They have all these, you know, a couple all pros at the top and Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup. But we saw that as soon as those guys go down and as soon as the, you know, I think they used the most offensive line combinations in the NFL this year because of all the injuries and the lack of depth. So the bill came due, but it's worth it because you won a Super Bowl. And that's the, that's why you play the game, so to speak. So do you think they have any regrets about what they did? Or is it similar to the uh, kind of the Lakers move where they went all in for Anthony Davis? Well, from a business standpoint, the Lakers are more of a family business, right? So they're really feeling it. They're trying to uh, recover and, and regain that glory. For the Rams, they can wait. They've had plenty of bad seasons under Kroenke. I'm sure that they, they knew what they were signing up for. Uh, and it sounds like McVeigh is going to return. I thought he was for sure going to take a leave of absence, say, you know, I'm, I'm done coaching for now and take $20 million a year from Fox or something to do uh, color commentary. Uh, but he's going to come back. It seems like he wants to be one of those guys that's uh, a coach. He wants to see see things through a bit more. So I, I think... Uh, I, I think they'll be fine. It'll take a, a couple of years. Maybe once they start getting draft picks back, they'll be able to at least add some competency. They seem to be great at scouting. Uh, I think they'll be fine in the long run. They have their, they can always just go back to F them picks if they wait like five, six more years. Yeah, right. So maybe this time around, they'll, they'll go back to the, uh, the organic building strategy. Uh, so our, our next story is another one where there is the crossroads between sports and politics, and that is the Saudi Arabia-backed Live Tour taking on the PGA. So this was one of the biggest examples of sports washing that I've ever seen, where uh, Saudi Arabia tries to improve their public reputation by creating this kind of renegade golf tour where they're taking on the PGA and they pledge something like four or 500 million to take on one of the biggest institutions in sports. And for a long time, it looked like it was a legitimate threat to the PGA. So why was this such a big deal in the world of sports? Well, similar to what happened with financial fair play in Europe about 10 years ago or so, we were seeing insane money being thrown around. But instead of at children like Oscar from uh, Brazil or Lucas Moura, it was being thrown at Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, Dustin Johnson. These are some of the biggest names in golf that have won the Masters. Uh, they're the face of golf. They have huge sponsorship deals. And the Saudi Investment Fund is throwing $100 million contracts at Greg Norman and, and these guys. And that's really hard money to turn down. The PGA does play, does pay great money, uh, but to just get that on the front end, it's really hard to say no. It's very appealing. I think that what ended up happening is it's hard to find live golf. You have to go on the zone, I think, sometimes to get it, where you get a boxing event once in a while and professional darts. So it's not exactly easy to find live golf. Um, I think that whenever the Saudi investment fund gets involved in things uh, in the West, especially that's going to raise eyebrows. I mean, right now the WWE is trying to go private and, and go through the Saudi investment fund. Uh, and there'll always be tension when that corner of the world with that money gets involved in sports. 
especially Saudi Arabia with the Jamal Khashoggi journalism uh, murder conspiracy. So th whenever these things come up, the, the Saudi investment fund is going to get a very skeptical eye uh, from, from, from us here, understandably so. And I think the, the point that you mentioned about it being hard to find was basically not what killed it off, but I think ended it for now, at least as a legitimate threat to the PGA. Uh, they really struggled to get any networks to cover it. I think it's twofold, right? They don't want to piss off the PGA, right? If you're Fox or CBS or whatever, I think CBS is the one that airs the Masters. So they have a, an, a longstanding partnership with the PGA. It's an institution. It's it's the NBA of golf, essentially. Uh, they don't want to get they don't want to piss those guys off because they can take their TV contract somewhere else. So if you can't get eyes on your product, it doesn't matter what names you have. I mean, people will, will like the diehard fans who, you know, really know who Phil Mickelson and, and Sergio Garcia and all these guys are, will go out of their way to find it. And they might pay that, you know, whatever nine ninety nine it is for DAZN. But you make money off the casual fans. You make money off, you know, the guy that wakes up on Sunday morning and flicks over to, to the golf channel or, or Fox or whatever, or the guy that someone like me who doesn't watch any golf, but still watches the masters every year. Uh, so that's where you make your money and they, they weren't able to do that. So they're still going. And the other thing was that the uh, national or international golf organizations, I forget the, the acronyms, they did not, recognized live golf as an official tour. So that affected guys world ranking. So if you played in the live tournament, it didn't matter. You obviously still made your money, but the, the, the rankings matter, statistics matter for these guys. And it wasn't uh, seen or recognized as an official tournament yet. So it might be eventually. And I think if they throw enough money at it, it, it might end up that way. But for now, it seems like it's not going anywhere. I think they offer the right or wrong head just another hundred million. They'll they'll get a license somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you throw enough money at a problem, it it'll eventually go away. But there's definitely plenty of resistance from the old guard, and and again, rightfully so. So, our next story is another good one. So no politics here. It is uh, Spurs head coach Greg Popovich uh, becoming the winningest head coach in NBA history. So. Uh, in March of 2022, he secured win number 1,336 to break Don Nelson's NBA record of most wins in NBA history. And funnily enough, he used to work for Don Nelson back in the day uh, in Golden State. So why is this such a big deal? I mean, we talked about the LA Rams and and saying F them picks and the development norms being shattered. This is the ultimate development guy who instills culture into his organization. The get over yourself. It's about the team. It's not about the individual. This was this team was the epitome of that uh, over the last 25 years. And Greg Popovich was uh, a, a, he's been a professional the entire time and he's groomed uh, some of the best we've seen with Kawhi Leonard, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili. And to see him being rewarded for that, you see his longevity. You see he's always in playoff contention regardless of who's on the roster. Uh, they always played beautiful basketball. So this is one of the game's all-time greats uh, being rewarded and showing an astonishing achievement that takes a long time to get. It took him a long time, and it's not like he had losing seasons to get to, what is it, 1,300 wins? It's incredible <laughs> um, that, it, that, that it took so long to get there, um, even w w with all the success that he's had. I've always loved Greg Popovich. I think that the year that he really won me over was the revenge season against the Miami Heat, where heartbreaking the year before, and then he just instills this tiki-taka ball movement offense that slices its way through and burns the NBA alive for repeat championship. And I think like three years later, they go the opposite way and they have the slowest pace in the league. I'm like, this, this, he could do whatever he wants. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that a coach like that is sitting at the top with the most wins of all time. And I think what, what's really cool about Popovich and the Spurs is that they always get the benefit of the doubt, right? Obviously, it's it's a reputation that they earned, you know, with uh, the the Tim Duncan era and the five titles and all that. But 
I think the coolest thing about this achievement is that it, it, it puts a number on the greatness aside, of course, from the five titles and the three coaches of the year, but it really solidifies again, his reputation and the Spurs reputation where again, we give them the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't matter who they draft. If they pick somebody, it could be some kid we've never heard of from some country we've never heard of. Be like, oh yeah, that's probably a good pick. That, that's the Spurs, right? They're, they're known for drafting all these international guys and developing them into superstars. And, you know, they, they've really transformed themselves from one of the, you know, AFL or AB, ABA franchises that was kind of fun, like a lovable loser type where, you know, the face of that franchise was George Gervin. And then it goes from we're the lovable losers to we're the winners that no one likes. We're the winners that no one wants to see. We're kind of boring. We, we have an un, unheralded superstar, one of the best players of all time that most people probably don't even know what he sounds like because he doesn't talk much, and Tim Duncan. And they went from that to, again, to a team that everyone appreciates for their greatness because people can look back and say, in an era of Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, et cetera, et cetera, all these all-time greats, the Spurs were still able to win five championships. And, of course, a lot of that has to do with Tim Duncan and his greatness, but Greg Popovich is of is the best coach of all time. And the fact that he was able to do that again in that era with those players that he had and build the reputation that he had and really transform that that team into the one of the elite franchises in the NBA just speaks to his ability. So, uh, yeah, any other thoughts on, on Greg Popovich and the Spurs? No, this is an awesome achievement. It's, it, I, was, I was super happy for Greg Popovich. So, yeah. And we thought he might retire, I think, before that season. I think his, his wife had passed away. He was dealing with some other personal issues. Uh, he's in his mid to late 70s. And now they might get another generational big man, uh, international big man, if they get uh, Victor Wembanyama, and maybe he'll stick around for another couple of years and win another championship. What's funny is we, we were talking about how benefit of the doubt. We did a redraft of the year. They drafted Devin Vassell in the lottery, and we both left him out. Kid's good. Kid's good, man. We were wrong about that one. Yeah, even in a brutal tank season, they're still entertaining. They still have good players. They're still developing guys. And that's just, just what he does. You know, Even if they're not winning games, they're at least uh, developing players. And there's a foundation for success. Uh, so the next story is probably the one that at least I'm the most excited to talk about, and that is the year of Steph Curry. So Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors secured their fourth NBA title in eight seasons. And it really was the year of Steph. The guy did everything. He won finals MVP. He graduated from college. He was the all-star MVP. I'm sure I'm leaving some things off. Oh, he breaks the three-point record all in the same season. So uh, I know I listed a bunch of things, but we're both Warriors fans. We're both uh, big Steph Curry fans. So why was this such a big deal? I think in the NBA discourse, especially if you're really plugged into NBA Twitter, it's Steph Curry is kind of seen as someone that is a bit of a front runner, um, labeled as a great shooter, had his better years with Kevin Durant. Um, so this was a incredible year for him to vindicate any criticism that has been lobbed his way, not having a finals MVP, silly accolade like that. And he really did it on, on his terms and, and showed uh, at the highest level, he competed on the highest stage and was clearly the difference maker. He was the best player in a final series against an excellent uh, defensive team in, in, in the Boston Celtics. So I think for this, it was just it was just freaking awesome to see him really take ownership of that and see how badly he really wanted it. It was really the team really. I mean, they wanted to win the championship, no no doubt. You could just really see in that game four that was kind of the capstone game where he detonated for, I don't know, 44 points or something like that, that he's screaming and cursing, f you know, five, six minutes into the game like an insane person. And you can just see when someone looks demonic like that, like they're possessed, that uh, something special is going to happen. So I think when you create iconic moments like that, and he definitely did that several times in these finals, you start to hear that greatest of all time talk, where do you enter in, in the pantheon, as Bill Simmons likes to say, uh, into that top 10, 15 mold. And he inserted himself into that top 10 conversation um, from the, these finals performances. And there's, there's a couple of things that I love about this story and, and the, the title. And 
The first is that it ended all the conversations. I think he came out after and said, what are they going to say now? Because again, like you said, they, they would point out the lack of finals MVP where all of a sudden it mattered. It never mattered before. I don't think I ever paid attention to who the finals MVP was until it became something that was weaponized against Steph Curry. Uh, he becomes either the best or second best point guard of all time, depending on how you feel about Magic Johnson. And he ends any of the talk about him and KD and, and all that and the fact that uh, you know some people think that KD was, was the best player on those finals teams. And maybe he was. I don't really care. It doesn't matter anymore because the, the legacy is solidified. Uh, and another cool thing that, that I thought about when we were prepping for this story or this podcast was that the, the guys that he beat in every round, it was a dude in his mid-30s like pushing against this new this the next era of the nba right round one they beat uh Jokic and the nuggets Jokic is a two-time mvp maybe going to be a, a three-time mvp after this year but he beats that guy he's in his late you know mid to late 20s next round they beat john morant and the grizzlies john morant is a superstar on the way up looking like he's going to be one of the best players in the nba pretty soon next they beat luka Doncic, who is probably on the trajectory that he's heading, if not, I, I don't want to talk about the, the greatness of, of his, his him and his team, but at least one of the most statistically accomplished players in NBA history, the way he's headed. And then, of course, in the finals, they beat Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and this new era. So every year or every round, he's just kind of pushing back against the tide. He's fighting father time, and he's like, no, nah, I'm still here. This is still my league as long as I'm here. And even if he doesn't win another title, he solidified his legacy. He solidified his place in NBA history. And I think that's that's the historical significance is it ended the conversation. It said, hold on, Young Bucks. I'm still here. Still my league. So I think I thought that was just, you know, the more I thought about it, that just it was just so cool. <laughs> and usually we're just living in such an incredible time to see that moment. These guys come around every once in a while and to see greatness really take its shape like that and see a guy win his fourth championship. Um, it, it, it's hard to, it was audible from the broadcast. What are they going to say now? You could hear them saying it on the court. Uh, they're plugged into all this stuff and they're annoyed by it. And I think athletes today have to deal with a lot of this stuff. Uh, whether we think it's, it's soft or it's not, they have to hear this crap every single day. And Steph Curry is a guy who was in therapy uh, and and is mindful of this stuff. He seems to be a bit of a people pleaser. He likes people to like him. He wants to be liked. Uh, and all of this pressure did have him kind of get uh, to take a step back and try and do some uh, some some mental health checking. And you you could tell that he this he wanted it so bad. He was sobbing uh, almost inconsolably on on the court when, when they when they did this. So. Super happy for him. You know, I don't know if he'll win another one, uh, but we've, we've been very blessed as basketball fans to see um, Steph Curry. And I don't know how else I could, I could cap, cap that off. Yeah. It was, he had such a, a palpable, like, just relief. You could see it on his face. That those were tears of joy, of course, but also tears of relief. Like, all right, it's over. Even if I never play basketball again, my place in history is, is solidified. And there's, they can't say anything about it because he did it on his own twice. And then, you know, everything else that, that the accolades, the statistics, all that, when it comes down to it, he won four championships and this one probably was the most significant of the bunch. So, all right. Our next story is one that I'm less excited to talk about. And that was the Houston Astros winning their second world series since 2017 it was their fourth World Series appearance, also since 2017, and we can talk about uh, the the cheating scandal, the garbage cans, the uh, wires that there, all the stuff, uh, you know, the suspensions, whatever it might be. Uh, but the question, and I guess the the question around the story is: Did they legitimize their dynasty with this win after all of the? Uh, not so harsh suspensions and again why was this such a big deal yes they did um, they, they were incredible they won over 100 games uh, in that season 
Um, and whenever you do that, you kind of fall into, into two categories. You won 100 games, congratulations. History's shown that teams that win a ton of games end up not really succeeding uh, and meeting those expectations of winning over 100 games. Uh, Seattle Mariners won, what did they break the record? 115 games swept in the first round or first round exit um, in, the, in the 90s. So uh, maybe early 2000s. My baseball history is not great. So anyone who's a baseball savant listening to this, these guys are idiots. So, but anyway, uh, the, the Astros, uh, absolute vindication. And, and I think that what made this a big deal is the punishment was so light. I think it just made everyone more enraged is not only did were they hitting trash cans and stealing signals, which I think a lot of teams do, but it, they were, it was clear and obvious that they were doing it. And there was a lot of reporting around it um, that, that exposed that they were doing this on route to winning a championship. Uh, not only that, but they were only handed one year suspensions to uh, the general manager, uh, Jeff Lunhow. Uh, and then they were also, I think they were, they were stripped of a few early round picks, maybe four early, early round draft picks and a $5 million fee for all that at the cost of winning a championship. And it wasn't much and they still won the championship and there's this little asterisk uh, next to it in the history books. Uh, but they went out, had an awesome season. They were clearly the best team in baseball all year. I don't think anyone that watched baseball picked against them. So I think that they did it their way no cheating and kicked everybody's ass. And aside from the punishments being light and people getting really upset about it, what, what annoyed me was that this should have been a, like a feel good story. This should have been one of the great stories in baseball sports history. The Houston Astros were awful for a very long time. Uh, as an A's fan, we used to kind of, you would bank, 16 wins because you're like, oh, we're playing the Astros 16 times this year. We're winning 14 of those. And they took this really unique team building approach in baseball where they built through the draft, through the farm system, even though they're a bigger market team, they didn't go out and, you know, buy a big superstar. They went out and got Justin Verlander and a couple other guys, but the majority of that talent was homegrown. Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, et cetera, et cetera. These guys were all, they all got drafted by the Astros and came up through the farm system. And again, it should have been one of the feel-good stories in baseball history, but they tarnish it with the cheating. Where I know in baseball, it's kind of like if you're not cheating, you're not trying. But it seemed like they took it further than anybody else. And the thing is with baseball is, obviously these guys are good players. Obviously this is a great team. But the, these games are one in the margins, right? Because we can talk about, you talked about 100 team, 115 win teams that get swept in the first round. Because baseball, there's so much randomness to it. There's so much variance. And when you can take out even a small percentage of that randomness and that variance by, again, stealing signs or doing whatever it is they were doing, it just, it it obviously made a difference. You know, they still had the talent to win because they were obviously still winning 100 plus games and doing their thing. But that was just the thing that really annoyed me was just that this should have been a good story, but they distracted from it with, with these shenanigans. And uh, obviously this world series probably ends the talk, but in the back of my mind, I'm always going to be rooting against them. Even if Jose Altuve is not there with his stupid excuse about not wanting to take his shirt off and all this other stuff that, that they, they did was just, it just, it stinks, man. It just, there's just always going to be this, this odor around that that era you know regardless of how true it is uh, or how much of a difference it made it just annoys me as a sports fan yeah i i, I agree um i i was just chuckling at the what well, not wanting to take a show off there were some some hilarious shenanigans uh when they were trying to cover it up and everyone just kind of had this shit-eating grin on their face and they were very unapologetic about it too uh but for me looking at it I was like, hey, they did it. That's that's exactly what I would have wanted. Win the championship. What are you going to say now? That kind of from one, what are you going to say now story to another? Um, I'm not I'm a fan of the Giants, so I don't really hate them as, as much as you do. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have much to, else to add on this. It's the only baseball story we have on here for a reason. Sorry, Aaron Judge. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was going to say, we probably going to talk about Aaron Judge, but... Uh, it's all good. I, I don't like that you compared Steph to the Astros. 
but I get it. I see the <laughs> I'm not a fan of that. But anyway, we'll move on to the next story, which I know one that you are very excited to talk about. You're actually currently wearing a Barcelona jersey. I don't know if it says Messi on the back, but the, the point stands. Uh, so at the end of this year, mid-December, uh, Lionel Messi in, the, uh, in Argentina win the World Cup. It's the uh, third World Cup in the country's history. It's the fourth. Um, and he cements himself as one of, if not the greatest player of all time. So aside from that, where he becomes the somewhat unquestioned GOAT, why was this such a big deal? 2022 is the year of the short king. Yeah, Steph Curry, not exactly short, short, but short in his sport. Tom Cruise, another short king, dropped Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Messi, probably the world's most famous short king, uh, wins the World Cup. And uh, this was the last thing on his resume, right? The, when, when you look at the all-time greats, uh, this is another what are they going to say now moment. So what are they going to say now? Hat trick. Uh, when, when you're splitting hairs and talking about the greats in the history of sports, this is what everyone's looking for. Did you win a World Cup or not? And it's so hard to win a World Cup. It really is. Uh, you look at the te- Argentina teams that have been assembled in the past, and this probably wasn't even top three uh, on paper of those teams that were assembled. Uh, but for Messi, this was his moment to uh, take that title. He'd been wrestling. We were so privileged to watch him and Ronaldo chase each other down for best player of this generation, best player of all time for the last 10, 15 years. Um, and it, the mark on both of them was an international trophy. Ronaldo gets the international trophy in uh, Euro 2016. Messi gets his Copa America last year. Uh, and this becomes the cherry on top in a thrilling final where he was clearly the best player all tournament. He was uh, hard to say if he was the best player in that game because of Mbappe. Um, but he was nonetheless, um, uh, his impact was, 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 was clearly there. So I think for him, this was that one, the, the most elusive trophy in probably all of sports because you only get four years to have a shot at it. Only eight countries have won the World Cup. It's just such, I think the World Cup is such a global event because of its, its uh, elusiveness, how, how often it happens. It's such a difficult thing to win. There's no legacies uh, from the Germany 2014 team where like, ah, yes, Bastian Schweinsteiger finally got his. We don't look at it like that. Uh, But for individuals, we're like, well, is he going to get it or not? Do you get it? You're the greatest. You're not. uh, You're the third place bum. So this was huge for him. If you look at his Wikipedia page, his the honors section specifically, the Barcelona one is incredible. He has like 40 trophies, La Liga a ton of times, Copa del Rey a bunch of times, the Super Cup, the Champions League four times, the UEFA Super Cup, the FIFA Club World Cup that nobody really cares about. Trophy after trophy after trophy. PSG, he won the league last year. He won the uh, Trophy des Champions. And the Argentina one is suspiciously short. And that was the difference, right? That was what separated him from the likes of uh, Pele, who we'll talk about later, uh, Diego Maradona, who, you know, his, his shadow, I think, kind of hung over all of this. Uh, and then, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo, who won his title, even though he wasn't on the field technically, he still won the Euro Cup. And that added to his, uh, and I think he was part of the Greece uh, 2004 team that won the uh, Euro Cup, but he wasn't a, a big player at the time. But now you look at his uh, honors page under Argentina and you got uh, the Conmebol UEFA Cup of Champions 2022 is kind of that semi-friendly against Italy. The Copa America, of course, in 2021. And now the the FIFA World Cup in 2022. And again, like you said, the the year of the short king, the what are they going to say now? Because he ended the debate. It was always, can he win the big one? It was... You know, can Steph Curry win it without Kevin Durant, even though he did in 2015? Uh, and it becomes, it's a conversation where it's like, what else can he do at this point? What more can this guy achieve? He's 35 years old. He's still playing at a high level. He's definitely not done yet. 
so that becomes the question is what else can this guy do? It's not about Messi versus Ronaldo anymore or Messi, Messi versus Maradona. Right now it's just Messi versus Messi. What else can he add to this legacy? Can he win maybe not another World Cup at 40 years old, but can he win another Copa America? Can he win you know, more individual or league titles? So uh, as a Barcelona hater, it was hard to watch, but I can appreciate the historical significance of the moment. And it's one of those things where, you know, in 10, 20 years when he's uh, sitting in the press box at the World Cup and my kid asked me, oh, yeah, did you watch Messi play? And be like, yeah, I did. And, you know, here's here's what I saw. And, and it's one of those things where you, you can, even as a, a hater or someone that was rooting against him, you can appreciate it because it was just an incredible capper to an incredible career that's that's not over yet. And hopefully in a couple of years, he's playing in MLS so we can see him in person. So, Eat anyway. your heart out. <laughs> I was fine. I swear. It was it was amazing. I mean, we had we did it basically when we did our World Cup review, we did like 30 minutes on that game alone in like a 45 minute podcast. So uh, we definitely he gave us our money's worth for sure in that game. Yeah. How can you not? Yeah, it's. um it's one of it's it, you look at sports moments uh if we did rankings it would probably would have topped the list uh, but it happened at the end of the year so it gets its own little moment at the end i would have lobbied for for steph curry to be number one uh, <laughs> but sure <laughs> i get it it's the world cup you know we can say the warriors were world champions but but who are we fooling uh, so in our, our last story uh of this podcast is uh, Pele. So we, we mentioned him in the last one and then how uh, Messi kind of puts himself on that Mount Rushmore, even though he already was, at least he gets, he, he solidifies it and gets the, the title. But uh, Pele, the, the Brazilian great, uh, passed away uh, on December 29th. So, you know, he could have held out for a couple more days and we would have been talking about this on the next podcast, but he passes away at the age of 82 as if not, I mean, he's still the GOAT at least in that era and depending on who you ask, but he was the first global icon in the history of sports. You kind of, you put him next to, I don't know, Muhammad Ali, uh, Babe Ruth, uh, not, not, definitely not Babe Ruth. Nobody gives a shit about Babe Ruth outside of the U.S., but yeah, him, Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, those, those are the names. Uh, so obviously he's one of the greatest athletes of all time, but yeah, why was this such a big deal? Why was this story such a, a big deal? Before Muhammad Ali knocked out Sonny Liston in 1961-62, something like that, Pele won the World Cup for Brazil at 17 years old in 1958. The doctors looked at him, they saw how small he was, and they were like, this kid can't play. He's going to get killed out there. He's so frail, he's so scrawny, that I don't recommend playing him. And the manager said, you haven't seen this kid play. I'm putting him out there. I don't care how small he looks or how young he is, he's playing. And uh, he was prolific in, in uh, again, we just talked about the World Cup, it's hard to win. He won it three times when he was healthy and available. Brazil won the World Cup. Um, I think the one time they didn't win, uh, I think he was injured or, or something like that. Uh, but he, he, he was prolific in the World Cup and he was synonymous with soccer. People that don't watch soccer knew who Pele was and Pele, Here's how huge Pele was. There was a civil war going on in Nigeria in the 60s or the 70s. And they called for a 48-hour ceasefire so that they could watch Pele play in their country. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's amazing. That's how huge Pele was uh, around the world. And he came. He had some money troubles through some investments, and he had to play again. He came out of retirement uh, or in a little later in his career, and he played for the New York Cosmos with uh, Franz Beckenbauer, I think, um, for a million dollars a year. And that brought awareness to the U.S. way before MLS. Um, a few other guys from Europe came over, like Gerd Muller, came uh, for, played for Fort Lauderdale or something like that. So a lot of Americans know who Pele is because of that, not just from his World Cup success, but for actually playing uh, in, in the U.S. as well. So Pele, you, t you talk to anybody who grew up watching world football the last 50, 60 years, they'll tell you who Pele was. Uh, they watched him on television. They listened to him on the radio. Uh, 
Uh, he, he was the first uh, global event before Muhammad Ali, before Michael Jordan, before uh, Mike Tyson, before any of these attractions that capture audiences around the world. The Olympics, right, at, uh, at, at, you know, at the exact same time, Pele was the first to, to, to do that. And similar to uh, Messi and his lengthy Wikipedia honors list, it's his Wikipedia page is incredible. You learn something new every time you go there. Um, he scored what a thousand club goals um, in his senior career uh, for Santos, and some people can hold it against him that um, he didn't play in Europe. But this was a different time, a different era. It was he started his career in the fifties, and you know maybe he didn't want to go to Europe. Uh, but he was just such a special player. He was an icon uh, at every level, and you know the fact that he was a a black icon in a country that um, you know has a checkered racial past, just like the U.S. It's a little different than uh, you know the way things are done here, but very similar. Where this is a, a a country with a deep colonial past, and he becomes the best player in their history, their most recognizable figure in their history. As a, as a black man and as a, such a young black man to, to carry this load of of having to represent this country on on the national level and he did it with such grace and class and you know it's it's nice to you can kind of juxtapose him with Maradona and some of the demons that he had to deal with and the fact that I don't think there was ever a scandal with Pele's name attached to it and it just speaks to not just the player that he was but the person that he was and he was such a, a an incredible role model and he really transcended sports. He became just like those other names. It's the one name guys, Jordan, Pele, Ali, and he's up there. And uh, the fact that he made such a big impact in the U.S. in a country that did not have a big soccer culture. He comes, like you said, to the Cosmos and brings awareness to the sport. He, he He's in a movie with Sylvester Stallone, and that, that becomes his intro, another introduction for him to the uh, the American world or, you know, the American sporting world. So. Yeah, there's just so many layers and so much history. We should probably do a whole podcast on Pele um, if you're down to do that at some point. But it was a, a capper to the year where we lost, you know, one of the great figures in sports. And uh, this might have been, I don't know, number three on the list if we did it in terms of impact just because of, of all the history around it. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, a absolutely. Pele, uh, for my money, you know, I think what made him – also, and this is hard to find when you look at the greats of other sports, is he was such a great ambassador to the game, too. He's so complimentary of other players. You hear him talk about Zidane. He calls him the master. Just a, un, such an uh, enormous compliment. He talks about Ronaldo and Messi and, and all these other wonderful players. And he's not a hater. He's, this is, he's like, this is all beautiful. This is all great for the game. And wherever FIFA wanted him, he went. He showed up with a, with a friendly smile uh, to, to spread the, the popularity of the game, the reputation of the game. Um, and that's really hard to find. I think he was just a rare figure that was more than happy to carry on, uh, not just his, his, his legacy, um, but to continue to grow the sport um, as the world's game. Definitely. Just so much grace and class and all that. So that's it for our, our top 10 list, or, or I guess our, our top 10 list in chronological order, just to remind you. Uh, so we'll do some quick honorable mentions and we'll do a lightning round. I'll just lob it to you and you can lob it right back. So the first one is uh, the Winter World Cup. So we had a great time watching the World Cup in a time where we're not usually accustomed to. So in most places, of course, it's, it's hard to play soccer in the winter, but do you think that FIFA will consider a Winter World Cup in the future as an option in some of the uh, hotter places in the world? Only if they win the bid in the same way Qatar did, I think. I, a lot of people were upset that they had to pause their club uh, football to, to play this tournament. But what we saw was everyone was informed, like we talked about. Um, I don't want to rehash it uh, when we recap the World Cup, but high-quality games. Uh, went on during this Winter World Cup, and uh, I know that because of Qatar's human rights record, there was a, it was very polarizing uh, in the build-up to it. But as a tournament, holy shit, it delivered. I just don't think we'll we'll get it unless another country like this actually wins the bid. 
there's a couple that a couple candidates that that fit that bill but uh we'll see what we'll see how much money gets thrown around uh the next up is uh matt ryan and the indianapolis colts blowing the biggest lead in nfl regular season history is matt ryan the most cursed man in nfl history yes or no yes uh he lost the super bowl what is it 28 to 3 this one, he absolutely put in his best performance to blow. Was it 30-0, to 33-0? Just amazing how he just becomes a sitting duck out there, a falling skyscraper with legs, um, a baby giraffe that is uh, slipping on, on ice uh, immediately when he has a big lead. So this was, this was tremendous. It was great to watch as a, a Jeff Saturday hater. So that was fun. I felt bad for my <laughs> Ryan, but not, not so much for... <laughs> for Jeff Saturday and the Colts. Uh, all right, the next one is uh, Kyrie Irving finding himself embroiled in controversy yet again. Uh, what's the deal with Kyrie? Why does he keep doing this to himself? I love the Jerry Seinfeld setup. What's the deal with Kyrie Irving? Uh, well, Kyrie Irving can't help himself. Uh, he, um, you know, one. I think after he fell out with Boston, uh, which is a pretty heavy media cycle, um, in sports, uh, he's pretty much gets gets shots taken, uh, thrown at him, uh, any opportunity that's presented. Uh, but this time he did it to himself. He shared a video of uh, of a movie with heavy anti-Semitic tropes, and then when asked about it, he stupidly doubled down instead of apologized. Uh, it seemed like he didn't even watch the damn movie, but um, he ended up losing his sponsorship with Nike. Um, he was suspended. He had to go through a lot of like sensitivity training and stuff like that. And it's stupid. And Kyrie was, handled it stupidly, and he got what he deserved uh, for not handling it more appropriately and and being more apologetic when confronted about this. Um, and this just goes to show that you 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 can't. You have to just just do your job. Just do your job if you want to have an opinion about things. At least you know if you're going to speak out. Uh, be willing to do so, but this was uh, this was it was really dumb. It's not one of the top stories, but it got a lot of attention. It was a freaking wildfire, uh, so it was just worth mentioning very briefly. Yeah, it was probably just one of the not not the top stories because it was not great to talk about, but uh, it probably had one of the longer legs of any story uh, on this list. So, uh, and the last one here, I'm sure there's a ton more, but. Uh, Justin Jefferson basically essentially winning a game single-handedly against the Buffalo Bills. So fast forward, uh, we'll say 15 years from now, is Justin Jefferson the greatest receiver in NFL history, yes or no? Wow, what a you set me up with a, a sports radio question. He will be the best of all time. And what percentage? Um, no, but I think he'll be up there. He'll be, he'll be one of the greats. For sure, just in terms of his ability to make contested catches. I mean, that game, if it weren't for 13 seconds, was the best game played in 2022. The Bills and Vikings or going at it at, at the end of a game. Josh Allen fumbles at the goal line. Uh, and then Justin Jefferson makes, I think, four of the greatest catches ever in the history of football at a single comeback. Uh, he's just making all of these, what seemingly was an unwinnable game, he's making contested catches. Um that, was, that just blew me away. And I, I think that it's not a top story, but it's a great moment uh, from 2022. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch. And I do think that he definitely has a case. Um, I know this era is a little bit inflated with statistics and all that, but maybe when all it's said and done, uh, we can mention him along the likes of Randy Moss and uh, Jerry Rice, et cetera, et cetera. Couple other stories. Just I know uh, you know we could be here all day if we we're talking about them, but I know you do not like college sports. Uh, but there was some big stories in college sports, and that was uh, the Georgia Bulldogs winning the uh, college football national college football playoff, kind of ending the era of dominance of uh, Clemson and Alabama, and then of course they repeated this year uh, as champions. Uh, the Kansas Jayhawks winning the. Uh, uh, men's national championship, despite being under investigation by the NCAA, it had shades of uh, Deflate Gate and uh, the Patriots winning the Super Bowl, despite again uh, being a, the Brady being suspended the year before, and then the South Carolina Gamecocks winning the women's uh, uh, NCAA championship and solidifying Don Staley as kind of the next goat uh, when it comes to uh, women's basketball with the likes of Pat Summit and. Uh, 
Gino Ariema. So, like I said, we could be here all day. There's so much that happens in every single sport. Um, and, yeah, any any other ones that you want to bring up real quick? You seem like you do. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Did you finish talking? Is the college talk over? The, the, the college slander <laughs> is so unnecessary. I don't even know why I bother. Anyway. Thanks, everybody, for checking us out. We appreciate you guys listening to us. Uh, we appreciate all the the likes and follows and all that stuff on all our social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook at 4040 Vision Podcast, on Instagram and Twitter at 4040 Vision Pod, and make sure to uh, like and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, any parting shots, Sam, before we go? No, no, this was great. I, what, what an awesome sports year. I'm um, looking forward to this year. There's going to be a lot of cool shit. So, no, this was great. I'm looking forward to 2023. Yeah, we got. We already got a lot to talk about, so we should start taking notes. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. See you.